Well, good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and open them or swipe to them, swipe them to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 25 today, and the title of this message is Consider One Another, Consider One Another. Let's pray as we open God's Word together today. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. God, this is, this is a gift that you've given us, your Word. And Lord, this is a This is a gift that you've given us as your people to be able to gather together corporately that we might together open your word and together hear what you have to teach us. So Father, would you help us understand your word, Lord, not just for our own sake, but God, for the sake of this congregation as a whole and certainly for your honor and glory. Lord, use this time now in our lives. May your Holy Spirit be present now to awaken us and give us understanding and conform us even to the image of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. What keeps you going in life? More specifically, what keeps you going as a Christian in life? What keeps you praying? What keeps you reading your Bible? What keeps you serving the Lord? What keeps you loving others? What what brought you here today? Maybe somebody's saying, my parents. Why are you here? What, What motivates you? What compels you to do the things that you do as a believer, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? I thought about that, I thought about those of you and that I would like to include myself in this, but I can't at this point in my life because I'm not training to be physically fit. I know I, know I kind of look like I do, but I'm not. Um, kidding. Um, as I thought about people who go to the fitness center on a regular basis, what keeps people going to those places besides a New Year's resolution? There are many motives that that could compel someone to go train to be physically fit. Some could seek to be doing that merely to be a good steward of their body because they value good, healthy life. Or they could be doing that because they're proud and like to draw attention to themselves. You've seen those people there. They, They stand in front of the mirror most of the time. There are many reasons that we could be doing the things that we're doing. But what is it that keeps you fit as a believer? One of the responsibilities that we have to one another, and we know that there are many responsibilities as we've been making our way through this Life Together series. But one of the responsibilities that we have to each other is that we are called to help each other stay the course. We are called to come alongside of each other to persevere 
in the Christian life. And let me just, let me just state this up front. If you think that as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you have God's Word, those are true statements. You think as a Christian that you can stay the course by yourself without the aid of other brothers and sisters, then you are denying one of the very means that God has ordained for you to keep going as a believer. Let's look together at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The book of Hebrews is a gem in the New Testament. Not that the other books aren't, but it is a, it is a gift in the New Testament in that, that it's a beautiful, um, uh, it's really a sermon is, is what most scholars think it is. It, it's a sermon that, that really helps us to navigate from that old covenant to the new covenant, and it unpacks in a beautiful way how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the old covenant and Old Testament had pointed towards especially prominent in the first 10 chapters of this book, is a thorough treatment of how Jesus, being greater than the angels, being greater than the prophets, being greater than the law, and his sacrifice being the ultimate and perfect fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had pointed beforehand. He, he's on display as the fulfillment that, that all of those promises and all of those, uh, those predictions in the Old Testament find their final resting place in Christ. It's really the first 10 chapters of this book. In fact, Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 would be a great summary of what's described for us in the first 10 chapters. There it says, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into holy places, not by the means of blood and goats, but and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So that's what the first 10 chapters of Hebrews explains. But in chapter 10, from chapter 10 on, especially verses 19 forward, from chapter 10, 19, through the rest of this, this book, really we find there a series of exhortations to believers to keep going, to stay the course, to persevere, to endure. And even in our text today, you, you find a very structured approach to urge that kind of perseverance. In our passage, you, have, you, you could outline it this way. For example, in verses 19 through 21, there are two gospel truths 
summarizing the first 10 chapters of Hebrews that then encourage three exhortations. So you have two gospel truths and three exhortations in Hebrews 19, 19 through 25. The two gospel truths we see are in verses 19 through uh, 21. Since you have confidence to enter the holy places because of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest, since we have all of this, these are two gospel truths, they are now motivating us towards these three exhortations that you find in verses 22 through 24. And these exhortations begin with, let us. These are not direct commands, they're not direct imperatives, but they're an encouragement to join in an action. In Tennessee, we would say it this way, come on, y'all. This is what, this is what the, the, the thrust of these exhortations are saying, come on, come on, y'all, come join me in this, in this way. You see them in verse 22, let us draw near because of the two gospel truths. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us put our confidence in Christ. Verse 23, you see the second one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Stay firmly rooted in the truth. And then the third, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's that third exhortation that we're going to camp out on today. I just wanted to show you the structure of this text to see where our, our uh, point that we're going to be highlighting today fits in this greater context of the book and of this immediate section. The exhortation in verse 24 literally is to consider one another. Our English translations sometimes make it difficult to see that because of the word how. It seems like the emphasis of verse 24 is that we should consider how to stir up others. And that's how our English translations read. But literally, what it's calling us to do is to think. We're to consider one another. One another is the object of that verb, or uh, that, that call to consider. We're to consider one another. So we're being called here to think to use our brains. It's a beautiful thing. Specifically, to think about others. More specifically, to think about one another, the people of God, and how we are to relate to them. We know that this entire series we've been walking through, we've been calling it Life Together, we've been walking through these one another's, and the point of these one another's is that people are going to be a large focus in our lives. And if you say, well, pastor, I'm not a people person. You may not be. But God has still saved you and called you to be part of a greater whole. And there are going to be some people that are more people people, right? And there are going to be some others that are, that are much more content just being alone. We're going to move towards each other in that way because we've been called to be part of a community. So we need to think about one another. And so that's what this text is calling us to do. It's to think about one another with a specific focus in mind. So as we think about this passage, we are being called to consider one another in ways that will foster perseverance in each other's lives. 
We're going to see that. So there are three ways that we are called to consider each other. We're called to consider one another, to stir each other up, to love and good works. We're called to consider one another so that we assemble with each other, not neglecting that gathering together. And number three, to encourage them. That's what we're going to walk through this morning. Number one, we're to consider each other so that we can stir others up, stir one another up to love and good works. That's what verse 24 says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Literally, consider one another to stir up to love and good works. Consider one another to stir up. We know that when we come to Jesus, or if you don't know this, let me explain what happens. When, when a person comes to Christ, when someone is brought from, from being a non-Christian to becoming a Christian, when they're born anew, when they're born again, something happens. We are given a new heart the heart of stone, as Ezekiel talks about, is taken out. We're given a heart of flesh. We are made new. We are given new life. We have new affections. And a new lifestyle begins to emerge from what God is doing. And we are called, by the grace of God, to persevere with these new affections and behaviors. But we know sometimes it gets hard. I mean, who would just want to stand up and give testimony this morning that the Christian life is easy? It's not. Things get difficult. We grow tired. We grow discouraged. We grow defeated. And we often find ourselves ready to quit. This is where the community of believers comes into play. We are called here in this passage to consider one another so that we will stir up, to spur on, Literally, this means to provoke. We're we're called to provoke each other in a good way, in a holy way, not in a mean way, not in an ungodly way. We're called to provoke each other, to stir each other up. So as you give thought to other people and their lives, you are called to provoke them towards a healthy, Christ-exalting life. This doesn't mean that you are to weigh them down with all kinds of expectations. It means that you consider them and you consider the stage in which they are in in life so that you can help flame, help help impact their affections for the right things so that you come alongside to help strengthen their passions for good and holy things, to excite them towards godly living. It doesn't mean that you say everything you think they need to hear. But it does mean that you say the right things in the right way at the right time to spur them on. You know, my kids, they they love to build a fire in the fire pit. It's always dangerous, but we do it sometimes. We don't do it as often as they would want us to do it, but we do occasionally put fire together, and especially our little girls for some reason, they just love it. My wife's freaking out because she's afraid they're going to fall into the fire, and and they're just running around, and and they're happy, and and it's always a scene. But usually when you you build a fire, the the first flame that that you light, and those of you who've done many of these, you know what happens. You typically have a pretty good burn going on. The flames are high, and and, and the the fire's catching, but over time, that fire kind of it tends to, to, to die down a bit. And, and over time, the, 
all you do is you sort of see some logs there with this, this orange glow. And even when that begins to die down a bit, what I will often do is I will get down on my knees and get real close to the fire and I'll just sort of blow, right? You blow right into the fire and what does it do? It, it excites the, the flame. It, it intensifies the flame so that it begins to burn again. And the fire continues on. Well, that's what provoking each other to love and good deeds is like. We are to be that steady breath of air in someone's life. Stirring up the embers of their heart so they will live a life the Lord has called them to live. Think about that. Maybe you ask, well, who is it that I'm to stir up? Well, the question would then be, well, who needs stirring up? Well, all of us, that's, that's the right answer. All of us need that. But specifically in your life, who is it that seems to be weary and tired and discouraged? Their fire seems to be burning low. They seem like they're defeated. Think about your circles of influence, your family, your friends, your small group. We're called to be that steady breath of air in their life. And others are called to be that in our life. And think about this. None of this is going to be possible to do from a distance. This means you're going to have to be involved in their life. You're going to have to be close to them. You're going to have to be coming alongside of them. Who is it that you're to stir up? Well, look around you. In your own context. What does this spurring on look like? Well, there could be many things said here, pointing out evidences of God's grace in their lives, encouraging people to use their gifts. On and on we could go. I looked at this passage with you a few weeks ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I think it's very helpful for us to think about how we come alongside and help others. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Each of these kinds of people are in need of a spurring on. Primarily due to, to certain kinds of blindness in their lives. And we, could, we could talk about many things at this point, but I just want to sort of hone in on one, one particular focus here. Because I found this helpful from a book. It's, it's a book called How People Change, written by Paul Tripp and uh, Timothy Lane. How People Change. Phenomenal book. Encourage you to read it. But in that book, they talk about various kinds of blindness that people have. Various kinds of blindness that, that we struggle with, even as Christians. That we need help. We need people coming alongside of us, spurring us on. They talk about, first of all, the blindness of identity. The blindness of identity. Oftentimes, people do not have a, a proper gospel perspective on who they are in Christ. What I mean by that is that they, they fail to, to understand or to remember a couple of things. Number one, they, they fail to underestimate the power of sin in their lives. And so they're, 
As the song says, they're prone to wonder, they're prone to neglect, they're prone to to go astray because when we find ourselves more prone towards sin, we are forgetting, we are not realizing just how prominent a place sin has in our lives. And we think for some reason that just because we've come to Christ that all of those temptations, all of those struggles are just going to evaporate. They don't. Blindness of identity. People don't, don't realize the presence and power of sin. And number two, on the opposite end of that spectrum, they fail to see their true identity as being in Christ. So they, they neglect the, the reality of sin and on this side, and then on this side, they, they neglect to remember that they're in Christ. And so they're trying to identify themselves as this or as that, when in reality they are a blood-bought child of the king. They're blind to their identity. They need spurring on. They need reminding. Part of the spurring on that you would come alongside and do is remind them as a brother and sister or sister, whichever one you are to them. Remind them of who they are in Christ. Remind them of the promises and hope they have in the gospel. Remind them of the power of Christ that he has to help them fight against sin. Blind to their identity. Number two, a second blindness that, that Tripp points out is blindness to provision. Peter tells us we have everything we need for life and godliness. Do you realize that? As a Christian, right now at 11.19 a.m. on November the 15th, 2015, You, as a Christian, have everything you'll ever need for life and godliness. Praise God. Sometimes we forget that. Yes, we have the Bible with its commands, with its promises, with its principles, with its warnings. He's given us that. But listen, do you know what else you have? You have Christ. We have Christ himself. And oftentimes we grow blind to that provision. We need people coming alongside, spurring us on, reminding us of what God has given us so that we will quit trusting in ourselves and quit trusting in in the ways and the advice and the counsel of the world and be reminded that God has provided everything that we need to persevere and to keep going. We're also blind to God's process. While we are positionally righteous, get into theology here, while we are positionally righteous, meaning that when As a Christian, when God looks at you, you are covered in the blood of Jesus and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is glorious news. When God looks at you, he no longer sees you as a condemned sinner. He sees you as perfectly righteous in Christ. That's your position as a Christian. But we know that actual righteousness is a process. Growing in that righteousness, growing in grace is a process that includes constant work, constant growth, constant repentance. We never grow beyond that. 
And this is where we often need the help of others. Reminding us of our position in Christ and helping us through that process, through that hard, constant, progressive work that we are called to do as Christians. Not to be Christians, but as a Christian. Christ is in all the work that's needed to bring us to himself. But now because we've responded to that in faith, as a Christian we're called to to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need help doing that. If you think you can do that on your own, then you're missing again part of the means in which God has given the body of Christ to help you along that way. Friends, none of this can happen, by the way, if we aren't meeting together regularly, which leads me to the next point, number two. If we're to spur one another on as we consider one another, if we're to spur each other on to love and good works, we can't do that separated. So we're called to assemble, verse 25, with one another. He actually uses it here um, uh, as a reminder not to neglect. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Apparently there were some that the writer of Hebrews was addressing that had fallen into the habit of not meeting regularly together. Now there's clear logic here, right? How can you stir others up to love and good works if you're not regularly gathering with them? The point being is that the regular assembling of ourselves together is of essential, not optional, essential importance. And it's not just because that's what we're supposed to do. We've got to move beyond we're supposed to do Christianity. Instead of we need By the grace of God, we get to do. Because of the work of grace, we are called to do for the glory of God. The regular assembling of ourselves together is of essential importance. It's for the purpose of God's glory, the strengthening of others, and certainly for our good as well. You know, when I come to to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I, I often... I've heard this verse, been in the church a long time, I've, I've heard this verse oftentimes. And, and we, as Christians, if you've been a Christian a long time, you, you hear this verse. This is, the, um, this is the verse we use to remind each other that we're supposed to go to church. Right? This is what we use this verse for. But I believe that we misapply this verse often. Because we only half apply it. Yes, you need to be gathered with the saints regularly, but that's only half the picture. You need to be gathered with the saints regularly so that you can spur others on to love and good works and so that you can be spurred on to love and good works. There are two ways, I think, you can disobey this command, this this implication in verse 25. One, by neglecting to regularly gather with believers. If you see this gathering as a, as a thing you do, if it's convenient, you're misapplying this verse. This is not a matter of convenience. This is a matter of priority for the believer. This is not something we do if it fits our schedule. This is something we do because we, we should long to be together as a family every week. So if we neglect to regularly gather together, then we would be in contradiction of this passage. 
But there's another way you can disobey this passage. You can disobey this passage by regularly gathering together, but refusing to engage other believers for their edification. You can be here today and be disobeying Hebrews 10, 25. Most people haven't told us that. They just give us the first part. This gathering is ultimately not about you and your convenience. This gathering is about the glory of God and the edification of the body as a whole. So, when you come here, this gathering is not just about you. It's not. It is about the good of this body as a whole, which includes you. But it doesn't stop at you. It goes beyond you. It's for the good of the whole. And so if we come regularly to this gathering, but we refuse to engage other believers for their edification, then we are not fulfilling the responsibility that we have in considering one another. In our new members class here at Redeeming Grace, we tell folks one of the things that we expect from our members is that they be regular in their attendance. Now, we're not legalists. There's not an attendance clerk walking around keeping track of you. I don't think. We don't have a deacon of attendance, do we? Yet. Yeah, I'm just kidding. And we're obviously not saying that people are wrong for taking vacations or for having to travel for work or for being sick. Nor are we saying if you have a job that keeps you away on Sundays that you're in sin. I'm glad there are hospitals open on Sunday, aren't you? Glad there are police out there, emergency workers out there on Sunday. Not all of us can work at Chick-fil-A. But I'm glad there are certain people out there doing jobs that, that are supposed to be keeping our community safe and all of those things. However, these are not, these are not, these are not things that would cause you to be in disobedience to this passage. If you consistently miss the regular assembling of the saints, we actually say this in our new members class, we would see it, we would see it reflective of two things. Either it's a portal to sin, or it's a reflection of sin. It's going to lead you to sin, or it's a reflection of a, of a sin pattern in your life. If you can regularly forsake the assembling of yourself together for, not for these things that I mentioned previously, but for other things, just because it's not convenient, then it would be a reflection of sin or a portal to sin. In fact, if you keep reading... Those that persistently avoid the gathering of the body of believers are in danger of apostasy that's mentioned later on in this text. Ultimately proving themselves that they're not part of the true family of God to begin with. So friends, the blessings that abound for you and I when we are together are many. You're missing so much. And I know that some of us have different personalities and some of us are more outgoing than others. But you're missing so much that if you just come into this room, sit down in a chair week after week after week, and then as fast as you can, get out to your car. Friend, you're missing the point of this. That mentality says this gathering's about me. And it's not. It's about the good of this body as a whole so that we would consider one another. 
for the good of one another. Simply filling a seat, attending the service, and heading home was never the intent of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I wonder if we realize what we are doing when we gather like this. Our gathering has purpose. Ultimately, we are joining together to worship our King and to hear from Him. Ultimately, we are gathering to aid one another's perseverance in the gospel. And while I would say that this is the most important gathering for the body of Christ, this gathering, each week, I believe it is the most important gathering, I wouldn't say it's the only time we can gather. There are small group opportunities, there are mentoring relationships that should be going. We should be practicing hospitality with one another, having each other in our homes and meeting with one another as we can. We need to assemble together. Number three, we consider each other as we encourage one another. Verse 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, three weeks ago, we spent an entire message on encouraging one another, what that means. And so, if you weren't here, you can go to our website and, and refresh that. But if you were here, you remember we talked about who needs encouragement and how we can extend it. But here in this context, we find this call to encourage again. And the point that's being made here is that we are to consider one another in a way that we can bring gospel encouragement into each other's lives so that we can persevere in the faith. There are going to be many days, maybe today's one of those days, many days you find yourself caught up in those mundane details of life. And there are going to be those days when your stress levels are at that breaking point. And there will be other days when you are so discouraged that you don't know what else to do. What do you do? Many times, when we're at that point, we are tempted to just draw away. When we find life at its hardest, what we're tempted to do is just kind of retreat. But friends, it's at that moment that we need the body of Christ the most. Instead of retreating, we need to run towards Christ and towards His people. Even when our feelings are telling us, don't. Don't buy the lie that if you're not on your A game spiritually, that you should stay away from God's people. That's a lie. We need to hear the gospel. We need, we need people reminding us of what we need to hear. We need people reminding us of who we are. We need people reminding us of the truths of the gospel all the time. We need to be reminded of these two bookends that we find here in verses 20, or excuse me, 19 through 25. The first is that because we have Jesus, we have access to God. That's verses 19 through 21. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have access to God's presence because of Christ. And, verse 25, he's coming again. He's done everything needed to bring us to God, and he's coming once again to bring us home. We need reminding of these things. Call to encourage one another. It's been a while since I've read this work, but John Bunyan's classic work, Pilgrim's Progress, if you've never read that book, you should read it. If you've read it, you should read it again. 
Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life. And the main character in that story is a pilgrim by the name of Christian. And it's an allegory of the Christian life that particularly demonstrates the need for perseverance as we make our way to heaven. So Christian begins this journey towards the celestial city. And along this journey, he encounters all kinds of people and all kinds of problems. He's on this journey to the celestial city. And there's all kinds of, of diversion points, all kinds of, of things that trip him up and cause him grief. We find people in the, the book named Sloth, people named Presumption, another hypocrisy, and then there's giant despair. There's places in the book where, where Christian goes, places like the valley of the shadow of death and even doubting castles. And many times, Christian's journey was, was one of significant struggle and challenge. And in the story, we have noted friends that come alongside of him, like faithful and hopeful, who spur him on, who say what needs to be said right at the right moment to keep him going in the right direction. One of my favorite lines in the whole story comes at the end of the book, when Christian and his friend Hopeful are making their way through that final obstacle, it's called the River of Death. And they enter the river, and as they enter the river, Christian grows frightened. And he cries out to Hopeful, this is what he says, The engulfing waters threaten me, the deep surrounds me, the waves of death swirl about me, the torrents of destruction overwhelm me. And then Hopeful said to him, Favorite line of the book. Cheer up, my brother. I can feel the bottom, and it is firm. Cheer up. I can feel the bottom, and it is firm. He was spurring his brother on, even at the end. Friends, this is why we need one another. This is why God has given us one another. Because even in those great moments of despair and discouragement and the, the torrents of death swirling about us, we need people speaking truth into our lives. We need to be those people speaking truth into other people's lives to spur them on, to keep them going, to keep them heavenward. Friends, God has not left us to fight the world, flesh, and the devil on our own. He's given us his word and he's given us himself. But friends, he's also given us one another. So let's consider one another, especially how we can spur one another on to love and good works for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your grace in reminding us of how needy we are. The temptation in this world, a world that encourages self-reliance and self-dependency, where we face a message all the time that, that we just need to take care of ourselves. 
and that life is only about ourselves. Father, the reality is, is that we have been called away from ourselves. We've been called to be a people that belong to a, a body. And Lord, we're reminded today exactly why we need each other. We are prone to wander. We are prone to sin. We are prone to self-sufficiency. We are prone to blindness. Lord, we need we need to learn to, to see one another not as a hindrance, but as a help. And Lord, today I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts towards each other. That you would help us learn to speak often into one another's lives for our, our perseverance. Or that we would learn to speak gospel truth. That we would learn to speak your promises and remind one another of what is right and what is true. Father, would you help us be sensitive to those around us. God, that we would not be so consumed with ourselves and co so consumed with life that we were just in survival mode. But Lord, that we would just be sensitive to the needs of those around us. So that we could say what needs to be said at that moment that needs, it needs to be said. God, would you, make, would you make us more like hopeful? Eager to speak what is true in that moment that's needed. Father, you know our hearts. You know the truths that we need to hear. My prayer this morning is that you would just help us continue to prefer one another, to continue to encourage one another, to continue to love one another well. And part of loving one another well means that we will meet regularly with each other and to spur each other on. God, may Redeeming Grace Baptist Church be known as a people who spur on one another well. God, would you have your way in our hearts today and would you lead us to obey this truth? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.